Section 87 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by John Greenman. Chapter 7. There is an ear in the unknown. Several hours elapsed. The sun rose, dazzling. Its first ray lighted up a motionless form upon the plateau of the great Douvre. It was Gilliatt. He still lay outstretched on the rock. That icy and stiffened nudity no longer even shivered. His closed eyelids were pallid. It would have been difficult to say whether he was not a corpse. The sun seemed to gaze upon him. If this naked man were not dead, he was so near it that the slightest cold wind was sufficient to put an end to him. The wind began to blow warm and vivifying, the spring-like breath of May. Meanwhile the sun mounted higher in the deep blue sky, its less horizontal rays grew crimson, its light became heat. It enveloped Gilliatt. Gilliatt did not stir. If he breathed, it was with that feeble, dying respiration which would hardly cloud a mirror. The sun continued its ascent, its rays falling less and less oblique upon Gilliatt. The wind, which had at first been merely warm, was now hot. That rigid and naked body still remained devoid of movement, but the skin seemed less vivid. The sun, as it approached the zenith, fell perpendicularly on the plateau of the Douvre. A prodigality of light was poured from the heights of heaven. The vast reflection of the glassy sea was added to it. The rock began to grow warm, and revived the sleeper. A sigh heaved Gilliatt's breast. He lived. The sun continued its caresses, which were almost ardent. The wind, which was already the wind of the south and of summer, approached Gilliatt like a mouth breathing gently. Gilliatt stirred. The calmness of the sea was inexpressible. It murmured like a nurse beside her child. The waves seemed to be cradling the reef. The seabirds, who knew Gilliatt, flew above him uneasily. This was no longer their former wild uneasiness. There was something indescribably tender and fraternal about it. They uttered little cries. They had the air of calling him. A sea-mew, who loved him, no doubt, was so familiar as to come quite close to him. It began to speak to him. He seemed not to hear. It jumped upon his shoulder and peeked gently at his lips. Gilead opened his eyes. The birds, content and shy, flew away. Gilead sprang to his feet, stretched like a lion awakened, ran to the edge of the platform, and looked down into the passage between the Douvre beneath him. The boat was there intact. The plug had held firm. The sea had probably not disturbed it much. All was saved. Gilead was no longer weary. His strength was renewed. His swoon had been a sleep. He bailed out the boat, made the hold dry, and raised the leak above the waterline, dressed himself once more, drank, ate, was joyous. The leak, examined by daylight, required more labor than Gilead would have believed. It was a rather serious injury. The whole day was not too much for Gilead to repair it. 
on the following day at dawn after having removed the barriers and opened the exit from the pass once more clothed in his rags which had got the better of the leak wearing clubin's belt with the seventy-five thousand francs standing erect upon the mended boat beside the machinery which he had saved gilliatt left the douvre reef with a good wind and a propitious sea he steered his course for guernsey at the moment when he was quitting the reef any one who had been there might have heard him singing in a low tone the air of bonnie dundee End of chapter seven there is an ear in the unknown